Two, one, zero. <laughs> Hello again. This is episode five of Lear and Life. I'm Shahari Holland. This is Tom Bentley Fisher. You can't see him, but I can. <laughs> Hello and welcome again. <laughs> How do you like that name, by the way? We've come up with Lear and Life. I think it's great, and I give you full credit, actually. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a tough section. It's heavy stuff. Instead of starting with a song this time, I thought <clears> of <throat> this poem by Hafiz. I think it's appropriate. Hmm. Out of a great need, we're holding hands and climbing. Not loving is a letting go. Listen, <laughs> the terrain around here is far too dangerous for that. You know, sometimes I just wonder what you know. What what are we doing, Tom, with everything going on in the world? Why why are we spending all this time on Shakespeare? I mean, what difference will it make? Well, I think it's a question we have to keep asking ourselves every day. In order to make a difference, you know, I, I was teaching and I told my students last night that you know you are students, but first and foremost, you're artists. You don't wait. Artists are the ones who stand up to the end of everything with hope and with ideas. And right now, I, I can't see a higher responsibility for artists in painting, dance, storytelling than for the past 500 years. I mean, so often at the end of civilizations, the artists are still talking. I mean, we can't preach. We can't hit people over the head. But King Lear, this play is about transformation, and that's what we need now. It's about nature and it's about an inner and outer life have we leapt over the cliff yet <laughs> stories myths i guess they help us cope don't they yep and they allow us to view the world through other people's eyes that's essential that's what the artist does sees the world through others eyes and echoes that back and that can create union you know Shahari, in this place, Shakespeare has set out the whole groundwork for what I think is the decline of civilization. I mean, Reagan and Goneril are way ahead of their time. The only thing that counts is materialism. And we shove our elders in a room in a wheelbarrow or a shopping cart or a wheelbarrow or a wheelchair. <laughs> I don't know. We just push them over a cliff. Gouge up their eyes first. <laughs> Sorry, uh, spoiler alert there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking the other day that I think this play is actually about eyes, about being willing to be seen in order to actually see. When is Lear willing to be seen? I mean, when are you, Shahari, willing to be seen? When am I? I think that's what will allow us to be engaged in a non-intellectual, personal manner. Uh, you convinced me. <clears throat> Let's carry on. I don't know what I convinced you of, but away we go. Okay, here we go. Now, this is a parallel plot in the play. They don't connect with each other until the conclusion. The Lear story is about fathers and daughters. This one is about fathers and sons. So, two brothers, Edmund and Edgar. Edmund is a bastard, and in the first scene of the play, his father jokes about it in front of his friends with his pals. Forget an inheritance. It all goes to Edgar. But Edmund does actually have some power and position. He's a general in the army. He's well-connected, and he's ready to use it. He has only one objective, property. 
wealth, land, his inheritance. And he intends to get not only his own share, but all of it, everything. Why not? Why the fuck not? He's a bastard. He's forged a letter with his brother's name on it and arranges for his father Gloucester to see it. So let's see how that plays out. Yeah, okay. Tom, you read Edmund. I'll, uh, I'll read Gloucester and Edgar. So Edmund is alone. Thou nature art my goddess. To thy law my services are bound. Wherefore should I stand in the plague of custom and permit the curiosity of nations to deprive me? For that I am some twelve or fourteen moonshines leg of a brother? Why, bastard? Wherefore base? When my dimensions are as well compact, my mind as generous, and my shape as true as honest madam's issue? Why brand they us with base, with baseness, bastardy, base, base? Who, in the lusty stealth of nature, take more composition and fierce quality than doth within a dull, stale, tired bed go to the creating a whole tribe of fops got between asleep and awake? Well then, legitimate Edgar, I must have your land. Our father's love is to the bastard Edmund as is to the legitimate. Fine word, legitimate. Well, my legitimate, hmm. if this letter speed and my invention thrive, Edmund the base shall top the legitimate. I grow, I prosper. Now, gods, stand up for bastards. Gloucester enters. Kent banished thus, and France in color parted, and the king gone tonight, subscribed his power confined to exhibition. All this dump on the gad Edmund. How now? What news? So please your lordship none. <laughs> Why so earnestly seek you to put up that letter? I know no news on it, my lord. Oh, what paper were you reading? Nothing, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, what needed then that terrible dispatch of it into your pocket? The quality of nothing hath not such need to hide itself. Let's see. <laughs> if it be nothing, I shall not need my spectacles. I beseech you, sir, pardon me. It is a letter from my brother that I have not all or read. And for so much as I have pursued, perused, I, I, I find it not fit for your o'erlooking. Give me the letter, sir. I should, I shall offend either to detain or give it the contents, as in part I understand them or to blame. Let's see. Let's see. I hope for my brother's justification he wrote this but as an essay or taste of my virtue. Gloucester takes the letter and reads it out loud. This Policy and reverence of age makes the world better. <laughs> I begin to find an idle and fond bondage in the oppression of aged tyranny. We should have his revenue, my, my son. <laughs> Edgar, had, had he a hand to write this? A heart and brain to breed it in? When came this to you? Who brought it? It was not brought me, my lord. There's the cunning of it. I found it thrown in at the casement of my closet. You know the character to, to be your brother's? If the matter were good, my lord, I dare swear it were his. 
But in respect of that, I would fain think it were not. It is his. It is his hand, my lord, but I hope his heart is not in the contents. Hath he never heretofore sounded you in, in this business? Never, my lord. But I have heard him oft maintain it to be fit that sons at perfect age and fathers declining, the father should be as ward to the son, and the son manage his revenue. Oh, villain, villain. His very opinion in the letter. A poor villain, unnatural, detested, brutish villain, who worse than brutish, go, Sarah, seek him. I'll apprehend him, abdominal villain. Where is he? I do not well know, my lord. If it shall please you to suspend your indignation against my brother till you can derive from him better testimony of his intent, you shall run a certain course where if you violently proceed against him, mistaking his purpose, it would make a great gap in your own honor and shake in pieces the heart of his obedience. I dare pawn down my life for him, that he hath wrote this to feel my affection to your honor and to no further pretense of danger. Think you so? If your honor judge it meet, I will place you where you shall hear us confer of this and by an auricular assurance have your satisfaction, and that without any further delay than this very evening. He cannot, he cannot be such a monster. Nor is not sure. To his father, that so tenderly and entirely loves him. Heaven and earth, Edmund, seek him out. Wind me into him, I pray you. Frame the business after your own wisdom. I would unstate myself to be in a due resolution. I will seek him, sir, presently. Confane the business as I shall find means and acquaint you withal. Gloucester leaves now. This is the excellent foppery of the world, that when we are sick in fortune, often the surfeit of our own behavior, we make guilty of our disasters the sun, the moon, and the stars, as if it were the villains by necessity, fools by heavenly compulsion, knaves, thieves, and treacherers, by spherical predominance, drunkards, liars, and adulterers, by an enforced obedience of planetary influence. And all that we are evil in by a divine thrusting on an admiral evasion of whoremaster man to lay his goutish disposition to the charge of a star. Edgar arrives now. He's come to visit his brother. And Patty comes like the catastrophe of an old comedy. Mike, you is villainous, melancholy, with a sigh like Tom Bedlam. Oh, these eclipses do portend these divisions far so me. How now, Brother Edmund? <clears throat> what serious contemplation are you in? I am thinking, Brother, of a prediction I read this other day. What should follow these eclipses? <laughs> do you follow? You busy yourself about that? Well, I promise you, the effects he writes of success unhappily. Uh, <laughs> Again. I promise you, the effects he writes of succeed unhappily, 
as of unnaturalness between the child and the parent. Death, dearth, disillusions of ancient amities, divisions in state, menaces and maledictions against king and nobles, needless dividences, banishment of friends, dissipation of cohorts, nuptial breaches, and I know not what. How long have you been a sectary astronomical? Come, come, when saw you my father last? Oh, why the night gone by? Speak you with him? Oh, aye, two, two hours together. Parted you in good terms? Found you no displeasure in him by word or countenance? No, none at all. Bethink yourself wherein you may have offended him, and at my entreaty forbear his presence till some little time hath qualified the heat of his displeasure, which at this instant so rageth in him that with the mischief of your person it would scarce allay. Some villain hath done me wrong. That's my fear. I pray you, have a continent forbearance till... The spy speed. Let me read again. That's my fear. I pray you, have a continent forbearance till the speed of his rage goes slower. And as I say, retire with me to my lodging, from whence I will fitly bring you to hear my lord speak. Pray you go. There's the key. If you do stir abroad, go armed. Armed? Brother. Brother, I advise you to the best. Go armed. I am no honest man, if there be any good meaning towards you. I have told you what I have seen and heard, but faintly nothing like the image and horror of it. Pray you away. Shall I hear from you anon? I do serve you in this business. Oh, Edgar leaves now. A credulous father and a brother noble whose nature is so far from doing harms that he suspects none, on whose foolish honesty my practices ride easy. I see the business. Let me, if not by birth, have lands by wit. <laughs> All with me's meat that I can fashion front. <laughs> Edmund, eh? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, he's great. I love lovely. <laughs> <clears throat> Bloom refers to him as the most evil character in, in all of all the literature. I mean, worse than Iago. What does he represent in today's world? Who is he? Well, look at the CEOs of oil corporations. I mean, the armaments industry, the politicians in their back pocket. Their contribution to the disasters we're facing. The financial sectors that prevents anything being done. I mean, what do they all have in common? Profit margins. They don't really care that 50% of marine life have disappeared since the 1970s. They can't see because they don't have the eyes to see. Now, Shakespeare wrote this play 500 years ago, and it's exactly the same story today. Gloucester sums it up perfectly. These elate eclipses in the sun and moon portend no good to us. Though the wisdom of nature can reason it thus and thus, yet nature finds itself scourged with the sequent effects. Love cools. Friendship falls off. Brothers divide. In cities, mutinies. In countries, discord. In palaces, treason. And the bond cracked twixt son and father. This villain of mine comes under the prediction. There's son against father. The king 
false from bias of nature. There's father against child. We've seen the best of our time. Machinations, hollowness, treachery, and all ruinous disorders follow us disquietly to our graves. So, to summarize, Edmund has forged a letter from Edgar saying that he's plotting to oust his father, maybe even kill him. Edmund has also convinced Edgar that for some unknown reason his father has turned against him and his life is in danger. <laughs> I mean, how does, really, how does Shakespeare get away with it? It's, it's, it's incredulous. Last night, Edgar and his father have spent two hours together talking, father and son. Today, on Edmund's word alone, both believe that their lives are in danger from the other one. I mean, why would they believe these things about each other? They wouldn't. It's a, I think it's just a very weak plot line. No, it's not, Charles. It's yeah, not. It's, it's not. No, weak, it's not. It's not weak at weak all. Weak plot line. I just wish I was directing this because, as you you know, you mentioned Bloom. Okay. He was not aware of anyone who could play Edmund. But in a situation like this, the stakes are unbelievably high and it is possible to play him. I mean, Edmund absolutely must make this happen. And when the stakes are that high, basically life or death, actually, then human beings can do anything. Anything. Think about it. I mean, once he starts his ball rolling, he must deliver. And if he doesn't, he will be exposed as a fraud who himself is plotting patricide. It would be the end of him. So he has to access that raw power at the core of his being and make it happen. He can do it. He can. He must. It's so unbelievably exciting. Well, Edmund has just learned that Cornwall and Albany are at each other's throats. There's a war in the works there. And he's heard that Cornwall's coming tonight to Gloucester's castle. <laughs> Figures this is his chance. The Duke be here tonight? The better. Best. This weaves itself perforce into my business. My father hath set guard to take my brother, and I have one thing of a queasy question which I must act. Briefness and fortune work. Edgar arrives now. Brother, a word descend. Brother, I say. My father watches. Oh, sir, fly this place. Intelligence is given where you are hid. You have now the good advantage of the night. Have you not spoken against the Duke of Cornwall? He's coming hither now in the night in the haste and Reagan with him. Have you nothing said upon his party against the Duke of Albany? Advise yourself. I'm sure, aunt. Not a word. I hear my father coming. Pardon me. In cunning, I must draw my sword upon you. Draw. Seem to defend yourself. Now, quit you well. Yield. Come before my father. Light. Ho, here, fly, brother. Torches, torches. So far well. Now, Edgar, Edgar, leaves. Blood drawn on me would beget opinion. He wounds his oh. own arm. Of my more fierce endeavor, I have seen drunkenness do more than this in sport. Father! Father, stop! Stop! No help! Gloucester enters. Now. Now, Edmund, uh, where, where is that villain? Here stood he in the dark, his shop sword out, mumbling of wicked charms, conjuring the moon to stand auspicious mistress. But where is he? Look, sir, I bleed. Where's the villain, Edmund? Fled this way, sir, and by no means he could. Pursue him. Go after. By... By no means. What? How did you get that wound? Persuade me to the murder of your lordship. With his un 
with his prepare again persuade me to the murder of your lordship with his prepared sword he charges home my unprovided body lance mine arm full suddenly he fled let him fly far the noble duke my master my worthy arch and patron comes tonight by his authority i will proclaim it that he which finds him shall deserve our thanks bringing the murderous coward to the stake he that conceals him death I think that's enough for one episode. <laughs> might be, might be too much. <laughs> you know, it is true. We might actually think of dividing it in two minutes because I mean, it's a real nail biter. Everyone is going to be binge listening from now on. We'll probably have a hundred million listeners for the next episode, and I think I took your lines. <laughs> a billion, actually. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> let's end. Let's end with that Hafiz poem. You you read it this time. Out of a great need we are all holding hands and climbing. Not loving is a letting go. Listen. The terrain around here is far too dangerous for that. Thank you. See you next time. It's pretty good. Yeah, my thought about it is actually... I Maybe you're... It's only 20 minutes. Too. Is it? It's only yeah. twenty minutes. Well, listen well, to it. It's a good it. time. Good time, actually. Is it? Because I you what know, happened to our other recording, though it, it uh, disappeared. What recording? Well, the, what we did at the beginning. I'm hoping it's all there. Because the only this other one. thing we, the only other thing we could do is is, is end it on. Oh, it's going to be great. What happens? I mean, when I can't remember what he says. Such a great line uh, I'm just trying to figure out where it is At any rate, think about it, uh, whether it's too much to go in one episode. I don't, I don't think so. Like 20 minutes, certainly not too much. 20 minutes is a good time. Okay. And All we right. do have to finish the thing. So I think 20 minutes is good. And also, I'm going to talk about this in the next episode, how we're building up people's tolerance for Shakespeare. All right. As each, okay. as each, as they listen, they get, yeah. they I mean, listen, I sure hear love more and more. I sure love doing that that um, sequence. Does it sound okay to you? Yeah, what I do? it was, sounds really good. Let's. Uh, I think let's just do the ending again from okay. uh, Mike Gloucester's speech. <clears throat> what page is that? Let him fly just up above here. Let him fly far. Just a little bit back. Okay, let me just find it. For some reason, I'm losing it. Where's the villain? Mumbling. Let him fly far. And then in your, <clears throat> just before your line, is that Okay, got it. So. Okay, got it. All right. Persuade okay, let, him, me to the, mm -hmm. let him fly far. The noble duke, my man. <clears throat> okay. Let him fly far. The noble duke, my master, my worthy arch and patron, comes tonight. 
By his authority I will proclaim it, that he which finds him shall deserve our thanks, bringing the murderous coward to the stake. He that conceals him, death. Is that enough for one episode? <laughs> I think so. I mean, maybe it's too much. <laughs> Might be I mean, too much, actually. I know it's a lot to take in. I mean, Edgar has got to get out of town, and there's lots more brewing. Hey, there's lots more. Yeah, it's a real nail-biter. I mean, everyone's going to be binge listening from now on, right? We'll probably have 100 million listeners by the next episode. Oh, no, we'll have a billion, actually. <laughs> How will we end? Well, let's end with that Hafiz poem again. You read it this time. I'd love to, yeah. Out of a great need, we are all holding hands and climbing. Not loving is a letting go. Listen. The terrain around here is far too dangerous for that. Thank you. See you next time. See you. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording.